Thank you, Rod. Uh, may I add my welcome uh, to that of Rod. My name is James. I'm the, the minister here. Uh, we're going to look more closely at that psalm together. Um, but before we do, uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, as we start this new year and we reflect on your word, we pray that you would give us light to our path. Uh, may we hear you each speaking to us personally through your word this morning. With the help of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Uh, can you think of a time in your life when you were afflicted by somebody you would class as an enemy? It may be somebody who had abused their authority uh, with a view to bringing you harm. It may have been somebody that you trusted who betrayed you grievously, uh, a friend or a spouse. It may be somebody who was just downright malicious and nasty, someone who said dark and hurtful things about you without any cause. How did you respond when faced with such a person? Well, uh, our natural inclination is to brood and to lash out. And yet for the Christian, there is another and a better response, and that is to pray. Uh, Psalm 5 is a prayer of David, uh, Israel's great 10th century BC king. So this was written uh, a thousand years before Jesus came. Look at Psalm 5 verse 1. Uh, for the director of music for flutes, a psalm of David. Uh, being a king in ancient times was a hazardous occupation. Uh, there would always be somebody out to kill you because they wanted your job. And David was no exception. Uh, he had his fair share of enemies, both within as well as outside of his kingdom. Even his son, Absalom, rebelled against him and tried to take the throne from him. Uh, but there was a sense in which David faced more danger than most. Uh, he was the leader, of course, of God's covenant people. He was pivotal to God's purposes in the world. And Satan and his forces knew that all too well. And therefore, behind the human enemies that David faced would have been dark spiritual forces. Satan, if you like, had the crosshairs of his scope constantly on David's, David's chest cavity. Uh, during his reign, David did enjoy times of victory, joy, and celebration. However, his life was also afflicted by strife, by danger, and by treachery. And it is evident that David penned Psalm 5 in such a dark time. Uh, when you read the Psalms more generally um, and you analyze them, you see that they break down into various groupings, categories. Uh, there are seven in all, they reckon. Uh, there are Psalms of hymns, uh, Psalms of lament, uh, Psalms of thanksgiving, uh, Psalms of confidence, uh, Psalms of remembrance, uh, Psalms of wisdom, and Psalms of Kingship, probably Messianic Psalms. Uh, which of those does Psalm 5 fall into? Well, it's a Psalm of Lament. Uh, here, David is pouring out his pain to God. Uh, look at verse 1 as it continues. He says this, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Uh, you could also translate the word sighing as groaning. Consider my sighing, my groaning. 
uh, on the PY camp two weeks ago. Uh, my wife Tracy gave a seminar uh, with the title, What to Do When Life Sucks, When Things Are Hard. Uh, she did a great job. Uh, quite a few people signed up for it, and many of the campers, they were eager to hear what she had to say. Uh, the feedback afterwards is that many people found the section on lament particularly helpful. Uh, it was something they hadn't really thought about before, uh, and the art of lament is a lost art often in Christian circles. Uh, what is lament? When I mean, Tracy was talking about how when we have pain and hard times, uh, firstly it's right that we process that horizontally, we share it with friends who God has placed in our life, and that is part of the grieving process, but also we share it vertically with God. We pour out our pain to Him. So that is what lamenting is, and that is part of the healing process for a Christian, pouring out their heart to God, lamenting with Him in prayer. We don't bottle it up, we share it with our loving Heavenly Father. Uh, if you want to learn more about lament, uh, I recommend this book, A Sacred Sorrow uh, by Michael Card, a very, very good book, uh, helping Christians understand what it means to lament in prayer uh, to God in, in situations of great hardship and pain. Uh, I've put the reference on the bottom of the sermon outline in your handout, so I will re recommend that. So, uh, this is what David does. Uh, he laments. He pours out his pain to God. Uh, however, this is not just a cathartic therapy session. He's not just lying on the couch uh, in God's waiting room. Uh, he actually asks for God's help. Uh, he says to God, please act. Uh, look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this. Listen to my cry for help, uh, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning... I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. As we're going to see as we look more at the psalm, uh, David is faced with great wickedness and evil in terms of his opponents. And so what does he do? He asks God for help. He says to God, please act. But did you notice how he asks? He asks with confidence. He says... At the end of verse 2, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. It's only when we get to the following verses, verses 4 to 6, that we see the basis of David's confidence that God will act, that he will do something about the wicked and evil people who oppose him. Uh, most English Bible translations of Psalm 5 verse 4 start with the word for. Uh, the NIV has failed here. It doesn't include the word for, but if you look at the original Greek Hebrew words, uh, it's right to render it. Uh, the, the sharp, the sharp, verse 4 should start with the word for, because it's actually giving them the basis on which David can pray with a sense of expectation that God will deal with the evil opposition. And the point is this, uh, David is confident because of God's character. David is confident that God will act and deal with the evil opposition because of God's character. Look at verse 4, and I'll start with using uh, the word for, even though it's not in the NIV. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. Uh, with you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. 
You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. We start uh, in these verses to get an insight into David's world of the time. Uh, we get a feel for the texture of the people that he's up against. Uh, look at it, uh, verse 4. It says, they take pleasure in evil. Uh, they are wicked. In other words, these are unscrupulous people. Their hearts are dark. They are happy to revert to any means to get what they want. Uh, verse 5 says, they are arrogant and they do wrong. Uh, verse 6 says, they tell lies and are deceitful. Uh, in other words, these people are slanderous and treacherous opponents. Uh, they have no regard for the truth. They'll say anything to get what they want. Uh, they deceive. Maybe they even masquerade as David's friends. But now they reveal their true colors. And if in, maybe in your own experience you know this. Nothing cuts deeper than the treacherous betrayal of those who call themselves friends. Verse 6 says they are bloodthirsty. They have dark hearts committed to grievous harm. Their words and their actions are fueled by malice. The question is this, as we look again over verses 4 to 6. Where do such people stand before a holy God? Because God's character shapes God's response to them. Look at how God responds to evil people. Uh, the terms used are very strong indeed. There are no half measures. Uh, verse 4 again. God takes no pleasure in evil. Uh, verse 5, God hates all wrong. Verse 6, God abhors deceitful people. And did you notice the consequences which flow out of that? Verse 4, the wicked cannot dwell with God. Verse 5, the arrogant cannot stand in God's presence. So you see, for the wicked, uh, there is no basis for fraternity or friendship or fellowship with God, they are banished from God's presence. Verse 6 continues that God destroys those who tells lies. So you see, uh, the long-term prospects of the wicked, they're not very rosy, are they? God's holy character means that David can pray and wait with confident expectation that God will act against the wicked. Uh, moving this to today, uh, to our lost people today in society and in the church often have an impoverished, impoverished appreciation of God's holiness. As a result, uh, we don't really have a full and deep sense of how repulsive sin is to God. Uh, in my scripture class, when I teach them here and at uh, Cherubrook Public, uh, one of the classes which goes down very well with the kids is when I'm trying to tell them something about how God views sin. And I downloaded from the uh, YouTube this video clip of people uh, throwing the uh, alkali metals into water. Now, if you're familiar from your chemistry at high school, when you put an alkali metal in water, uh, the two don't go well together. Uh, they basically combust, the metal combusts. There's an explosion of light. And so this film starts with um, putting a little bit of uh, metal in a little Petri dish of water and it fizzes. But at the very end of it, this guy throws a huge lump of some lithium into a lake and it's almost like a, a volcanic, uh, an atomic plume coming out of the lake. So great is the explosion, they love that bit. Uh, but the point is not just to entertain the kids. The point is to say, this is what it's like. This is what happens when 
sin comes into contact with the holy God. The two cannot exist together. There is an explosive reaction. They cannot be together. Uh, we sang about it in that song and hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Uh, we, we sang this, uh, Holy, 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 though the darkness hide you, though the eye of sinful man your glory may not see. Sinful people cannot even see the glory of a holy God. The two cannot exist together. Uh, which of us can say that we are perfect? Uh, not one. Uh, all of us are what the Bible calls sinful. Uh, we fall short of God's holy perfection. And that means none of us can enter God's holy presence on the basis of our own merit. The only way we can enter God's presence, as we sang, is by God's grace, his undeserved favor and forgiveness. It's interesting, when we come back to the psalm, uh, it is evidence that David, King David, the great King David, was very aware of that. Uh, as we've seen, whereas the wicked are banished from God's presence, David is free to enter God's presence. Uh, for him, the welcome mat is placed at the entrance to God's house. But did you notice the basis on which David has access to God? Uh, look at verse 7. David says, But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down towards your holy temple. Do you see? Uh, David doesn't swagger into God's presence full of self-confidence. Uh, he doesn't play the card of his own goodness and morality. Even though he's God's covenant king, he recognizes it's only by God's mercy that he can enter God's house. Only by grace can he enter. And it's then before the throne of God above that David presents three requests. He basically says, guide me, judge them, and protect me. Uh, so firstly, guide me. Uh, not only is it by grace that he can enter, but it is also by grace that he can stand every day. Uh, he's praying at the beginning of the day. If uh, we were to look at verse 3 again, it said there, in the morning I lay my requests before you. So there is David. He's starting his day. Many hazards await him. Uh, his enemies, no doubt, are waiting to see if they can get him. How can David walk the path of each day? He knows that he needs God's help. He needs God's wisdom. He needs God's strength to walk the godly path, not to revert to ungodly means. And so he prays, help me. Look at verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. So that's David's first request. Uh, help me, guide me, give me strength. Give me wisdom for the day that lies ahead. Uh, that's a great prayer. Uh, do you start your day with such a prayer? Because we all need to. Uh, the second thing David prays is judge them, his enemies. Uh, David says, in fact, uh, convene the court. Call these wicked enemies to account. Uh, let justice be done. Bring on them the consequences of their behavior. Let them have it. Look at verses 9 and 10. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue 
they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. This is the first psalm in the Psalms with what we call an imprecatory prayer. It's a big word, but it basically means a psalm where in prayer, uh, the person praying invokes calamity and judgment and curses on their enemies. Uh, Much can be said about these sorts of prayers uh, in terms of understanding them and how we respond to them, but um, time doesn't allow us to go into detail. But one observation is worth making at this point. Did you notice what is driving David's imprecatory prayer? Uh, It's not personal vengeance. It's not his desire to get even. It is a concern for the name and the glory of God. At the end of verse 10 he says, for they have rebelled against you. They rebelled against you. That's why he calls God to act, to bring his judgment on them, because they have rebelled against you. And God's name and God's glory have been solid. So, uh, David prays, firstly, uh, that God would help him, guide him. Secondly, that he would judge his enemies. Thirdly, God prays that God would protect him. Uh, He's confident that God will watch over him and over his cause. Whereas those who have no regard for God's name will ultimately be banished from God, uh, those who love God's name will enjoy his favor and his protection. Look at verse 11 and 12 again. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. So the question we need to always ask when we, ask, when we read any passage of the Bible is, how does this apply to us today? Uh, for those who trust in Christ, how do we, if you like, appropriate this psalm to ourselves? Well, here's the first point. Uh, we shouldn't be too quick to erase David's name and to insert our own. Uh, first and foremost, the link is between King David and the greater king, King Jesus, his descendant. Uh, we know the whole of the Old Testament points, of course, to Jesus. The whole of the Old Testament whispers his name. And like David, uh, Jesus was encircled by evil, deceptive and bloodthirsty enemies who, were, who lied under oath to secure his death. Like David, Jesus cried out with anguish and groaning in the garden. He prayed for strength and guidance for the path that lay ahead of him as the shadow of the cross fell over him. Like the wicked, Jesus was banished from the presence of the holy God, not for his many sins, but for ours. Of course, he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And like David, Jesus asks for the Father's protection, not from death, but beyond death. And of course, he was, he was raised. Uh, The psalm is not specifically quoted in the New Testament as pointing to Jesus, but it is quoted in reference to humanity. In Romans chapter 3, Paul uses uh, Psalm 5 verse uh, 9 
to support his case that all humanity falls into the category of wicked and rightfully under God's judgment. Uh, Look at Romans 3, verse 12. Uh, The Apostle Paul says this, All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then he goes on to quote Psalm 5, verse 9. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. So you see, uh, the psalm reminds us that without faith in Christ, even the most moral and upright person falls into the category of the wicked before a holy God. And consequently, they cannot enter his presence. They are banished from his presence. So you see, the New Testament's use of Psalm 5 points us to Jesus and our need for him. The New Testament's use of Psalm 5 says, we are all wicked before a holy God. We need Jesus. We need to put our faith in him. We need to be cleansed. We need to be forgiven. And therefore, the New Testament's use of Psalm 5 also, if we've done that, says be thankful for all that Jesus has done to cleanse you, to make you able to come into the presence of a holy God. Because it is only by grace that we can enter. So, first and foremost, the psalm points us to Jesus. However, uh, there is also a sense in which we can erase David's name in the psalm and insert our own. You see, if we trust in Christ, then we are like David. We are members of God's covenant people. And sooner or later, we, like David, will be targets of Satan's crosshairs. If we are Christians, then inevitably there will be scenes of life when we will face evil opposition. It may be from within our families, even our marriages. It may be in our church or our workplace, our college, our school or our society. It may be people who have a malicious heart intent on harming us. It may be broken, damaged people who lash out in their dysfunctional state. And the question is this, when we come up against people like that, how will we respond? Uh, Will we stew or will we pray? And if we pray, what will we pray? And will the psalm instruct our hearts? Will it shape what we pour out to God? Will we lament Will we pour out our hearts to our loving Heavenly Father? Will we, like David, humbly cry out for guidance and strength each day to tread the godly path, not to revert to responses which dishonor God when faced with those who harm us? Will we plead with God for protection, mindful that we are engaged in a spiritual battle for which we need spiritual armor? And will we say, God, please act in this situation for the honor and glory of your name, like David? If we're willing to pray to God to act for the honor of his name, here's another question. How will that then shape what we actually pray for our enemies? Will we pray for God to judge them as David did? Uh, What difference does it make living this side of the cross? Do you recall what Jesus told his followers to pray in Matthew 5 from the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5 verse 44. 
Jesus says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray. Pray for those who persecute you. If you're praying for those who persecute you, you're actually praying for their blessing, for their good. What is the greatest blessing you can possibly pray for your enemy? Well, it's that they would change, that they would come from being under God's curse to being under God's blessing. In other words, that if they're not a Christian, they would come to the point of being a Christian, being from out, being, coming from outside of God's kingdom to entering God's kingdom. Uh, if they are a Christian, of course, we pray that they would be convicted of their sinful and godly behavior and that they would come to the point where they repent and they ask for forgiveness. And when we pray in that way, uh, we are praying that God's name would be honored and glorified. Uh, when we suffer at the, harm, at the hands of others, uh, how do we feel in our hearts? Uh, is there not a part of us which yearns for justice? Of course there is. Uh, is that wrong? No, it isn't. Uh, God is a God whose character says that justice is right and we are made in his image. And so there is rightly a part of us that says, I want justice. And so coming back to this situation where we are harmed by others, there is something in us which rightly cries out, God, I want justice in this situation. What we can do as Christians is we can pray to God, bring justice, but bring it in your time. And that may not be until the end of time. Uh, it's interesting that when you read the New Testament letter to the Christians in the city of Thessalonica, uh, it's quite evident that those Christians were having a very hard time at the hands of others. Uh, they had many enemies in that city who were making life very hard for them. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul writes to them is to say, leave justice to God. Uh, he will bring justice on the last day when Jesus comes back. Leave it to him. I look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. This is what uh, Paul says to these Christians who have been afflicted. Uh, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. You see when it happens? Justice will be done when Jesus returns to judge all. And we still wait, of course, for that day. Surely, in the presence, we can trust the judge of all the earth to do right in his time. And finally then, in the face of wickedness and evil opposition, there is also something else, therefore, we can legitimately pray. Uh, do you know what the closing prayer of the Bible is? Revelation 22, verse 20. Simply this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. End all the sickness, end all the sadness, end the sorrow, end the death, end the suffering, end the evil. Come and cleanse this creation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And that's what we can pray as Christian people with confidence. We long for the day when the world will be cleansed and all evil removed from it forever. And we can pray for that with confidence. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this psalm uh, uttered in a dark time in David's life. Thank you for the way that it instructs us when we ourselves suffer in dark times at the hands of others. Uh, we pray that it would indeed instruct our hearts, point us to Jesus, uh, the one who uh, reconciles us to you, and then gives us uh, an armory of practical ways in which we can pour out our hearts to you and seek your strength and guidance to respond in a godly way to our, those who afflict us. And we pray this to your glory and for the honor of your name. Amen.